this is an interesting story. Uh, there is a privacy bill called C-27 that the liberals have attempted to bring in in the past. Uh, the first one fell apart. It, this is their second attempt to introduce it because the previous bill died when last year's election was called. So that's over. This uh, bill is to update the Personal Information Protections and Electronic Document Act, and it hasn't been updated for uh, years, in fact. Uh, David Fraser is a Internet and privacy lawyer, and he joins us now to talk about the ins and outs on, on this bill. It's just proposed, hasn't passed yet, but it's good to have you on, David. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Happy to chat. So what does this bill aim to do? Well, what it's looking to do is to update our privacy legislation. So the Personal Information Protection Electronic Documents Act has been around since 2001, fully in, in force in 2004. It's been updated a number of times, but uh, certainly the consensus within the privacy community seems to be that it needs to be uh, updated. And in the meantime, Europe has significantly revamped their privacy laws. We're seeing new, uh, more modern privacy laws emerge in a whole bunch of different places, their trading partners, and also uh, in American states. And so this was part of the government's uh, election platform the first time they were elected. They introduced Bill C-11 and then did nothing with it, allowed it to languish on the order paper. And so they've committed to reintroducing it, and they largely have. It's, uh, it's by and large the same as C-11 was uh, with some tweaks in the meantime. Certainly uh, a number of people had comments about it. The privacy commissioner at the time, uh, who's just about to retire, or his term is about to come to an end, had a number of things to say about C-11 that he wasn't happy with. Not all of those are, are addressed in the bill. It's a bit of a, a kind of a classic Canadian compromise. There's something in here to make most people happy, and there's something in here to make most people think it doesn't go too far. And how much of a page did we rip from uh, Europe? Because I know they do have really, they're very savvy when it comes to the internet and privacy that surrounds the internet. Well, certainly all the principles are the same, by and large. And there's, there's a large consensus in the international privacy community on what are good privacy practices and how you implement it is, uh, will different, differ significantly from country to country. We're far less administrative focused and far less bureaucratic usually than, than Europe. Um, and so this legislation moves a little bit in that direction, but doesn't go as far as, as Europe does in terms of just the process that's that's necessary and and uh certainly the i don't know how many privacy related jobs the gdpr created in europe but it must be in the tens of thousands this certainly is going to be a lot of work for a lot of companies but it's not going to have that same sort of uh, administrative administrative impact so it's about giving people choices mm -hmm. informed choices about how their information is collected used and disclosed that existed in the previous legislation it's reinforced a, a bit here there's a new provision related to children's privacy that I think is great. It recognizes that information about young people is, is inherently sensitive, given the, the vulnerability of, of young people. But it also recognizes that, that uh, there's not a magic age at which you become mature enough to make your own decisions. So if, if a young person is old enough to understand the consequences of their actions and understand what they're consenting to, they're given the full power to do that. Well, and how old is that? 
Well, it's not a magic age. And so it's, uh, you can't say, oh, well, some places do. Under 13, you're essentially a vegetable and you can't make any decisions on your own behalf. And it's entirely up to your parents. And then over, over 19, you're magically a mature person and there's a gray area in between. This recognizes that, you know, if, if a young person is able to make their choices, they can do that. And, and that, in fact, aligns with uh, consent to healthcare treatment, for example. You can have somebody who's 15 years old. Uh, they're not an adult yet, as far as the law is concerned, but they can understand what it is that they're consenting to, so but they can consent to medical treatment that uh, even if their parents object. That seems weird to me. I have to be honest. And and the reason why, not the medical care, it's just that if we don't know as adults what we're agreeing to when we click OK, when we download an app, how do we expect that kids are going to be able to do that? Well, so the legislation has, has something in there for that. So there's a requirement for plain language. Uh, which was not specifically spelled out in PIPEDA in the previous legislation. And that plain language has to be calibrated to the audience. And so if you're doing something for young people, so not children, not under the age of 13, but people above that age, um, you need to explain to them in a way that they can understand. And if they can't understand because they're too immature, then they're not in a position to give that consent. But if they can't understand because they haven't done a good job of, of explaining it, well, then the, the organization itself is, is non-compliant. Okay, but then shouldn't we update the terms and conditions of how this app or that you're downloading is going to use your information and share it and sell it? Shouldn't we update? it then with you have to it's not good enough just to say okay you're going to have to go through a quiz to to see if you actually can comprehend what they're telling you i know that seems ridiculous but i really have to say i don't see this bill doing much for for privacy at the end of the day because i don't think people i think we've gotten to a point where and app developers know this and big tech knows this that we're complacent basically we're we're apathetic to the practice now we're resigned that okay we're giving up some of our privacy and we don't even care where it goes because instant and immediate gratification is more important to us well so the there's a bit of a misperception out there that privacy policies are where you get consent. And so if it's in a privacy policy, the person has consented to it. No, the, the person has to be provided with the purposes at or before the time the information is even is even collected. And nobody reads privacy policies. Everybody knows that. Right. And so it actually it actually needs to explain it in, in the app. And if you can't explain it, then you probably shouldn't be doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it will require upping people's upping organizations games in terms of making that clear to people about what it what is going on with their with their information. So I really hope that at the end of the day, one of the things that this does is it focuses companies attention to how are you actually interacting with your customers and how are you explaining to them what it is that you propose to do with their, with their personal information? Because you need to do it in the app, not in a privacy policy. And you need to do it in a way that they can, the way that they can understand. And frankly, if you can't, as I said before, if you can't explain it to somebody, then you probably shouldn't be doing it because in order to do it, it's a little bit circular in order to do mm-hmm. it, you have to be able to explain it and, and get, sure. get that consent. Yeah. Otherwise then you haven't, you haven't received consent. Because they did That's not, right. you know, was you weren't your audience wasn't able to comprehend what you were asking them for. So, I mean, that's, I just, I still think, and I mean, maybe I'm talking in circles here, but I feel like big tech is onto us now. They already know that we've kind of, uh, you know, are, are uh, we have a limited attention span. 
we're most of us are not going to waste a lot of time on the consent form. And so even if they write it in plain language, I don't know how much this is going to do to help our, our privacy. I understand that that's, you know, th- that this is what the bill aims to do. I just question if it's, you know, we're not going to get in our own way of, of privacy actually, you know, occurring. Can you, can I ask you a question? I don't know if you can give us a reality check on how big tech is actually gathering data, storing it, selling our information. How prevalent is that? How, how, how rampant is that? Uh, well, certainly. So the more and more of the things that we do in our daily life that we do online or we do facilitated by apps or otherwise, inherently personal information is generated and, and, is, and is collected. And so the volume of that is obviously increasing as we're doing more and more things. We're not banking at the bank, bank branch. We're banking through an app. We're, we're not consuming our news by going to an, a, a newspaper box and anonymously buying a newspaper. We're going to uh, a news website and they're asking us to log in because they want to pay for subscriptions and things like that. So more information is being generated. So the volume is, is, really, is really going up. One thing that's, that's a, a general misperception is the amount of personal information that's sold. Mm-hmm. The United States has a massive data brokerage industry, whereas we don't in Canada. We have credit bureaus and things like that, but we don't have the same scale. And part of the reason for that is that an organization can't collect your information unless they actually have your consent to do that. Um, and big tech, quote unquote, actually don't sell personal information. For example, Facebook will sell ads against your personal information. So you go to Facebook and you say, look, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a small, uh, I don't know, outdoors equipment provider, and I want you to show this ad to people who right. are in their 20s and have camping as an interest. And Facebook will do that, will show ads to that audience, but they're not going to sell your information. Google never sells information, um, but they do they just use take, it in order for, for ad, ad targeting purposes. Yeah, they target you with the information that they're aware of. They use that to target you uh, for their advertisers, and that, that makes sense. There's um, artificial intelligence rules in this. It, it, is it comprehensible or is it easy to comprehend what's uh, going on with with rules to uh, the you know as they pertain to artificial intelligence within this legislation because i mean we're still developing that uh, we are and, and uh artificial intelligence itself is difficult to explain and difficult to comprehend so what you were talking about a moment ago kind of turn it up to 11 when it comes to artificial intelligence because in some instances, there, there really is a bit of an opaque black box there that is processing information that's learning its own things and its own rules as it's, as it's processing this. So there is a, what was not in Bill C-11 is a new piece of legislation that is designed to regulate artificial intelligence and machine learning, particularly and with a particular focus on looking at the risk of it. What sort of decision making is this is this doing, and does it have the possibility of affecting people's kind of serious interests, their 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 health, their well being, their their personal property, things things like that? And so that's going to be overseen by a new regulator. And and one of the things that's a little bit disappointing is that it was introduced yesterday, but a lot of it depends on the regulations and how how that is how that is defined. But certainly, it makes a lot of sense. And and. It's also a little bit redundant. Among the things that you need to be able to do is you need to make sure that these systems don't uh, don't discriminate on the basis of, for example, prohibited grounds of discrimination that are already included in our, in our human rights legislation. There have been examples where machine learning has been used, for example, to screen resumes, wow, uh, to uh, filter out filter out candidates, mm-hmm. and where where the input data was from a company that had 
uh, where it was mostly white guys. And so it said, oh, white guys perform well in this company, so we're going to screen in white guys who go to these particular universities. Um, It wasn't intentionally done that way, but the machine learning often depends upon the data that goes in. So it makes a lot of sense to make sure that before you deploy something like that, um, that you're actually taking a very close look at what's going in, what's coming out. Does that does that show any sort of bias? And, you know, that can have cascading effects across, for example, credit granting. Um, mm-hmm. you, you apply for a loan and, and refuse your, reviews your application and it either accepts or rejects or sets a credit limit. You need to make absolutely sure that that's not inadvertently or God forbid, advertently on purpose, uh, discriminating against people on the basis of a prohibited ground of grounded discrimination. So putting that th- that whole area under a not necessarily a microscope, but but at least a triage function to say, hey, look, this is low risk. We're not going to panic about that. Oh, but this is high risk. We're going to take a very close look uh, right. at the uh, at how how this works and and the potential impacts. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because where you say this has been updated, this privacy law um, over the years, this is something that I think will be updated continuously. This this uh, component about AR, AI and uh, regulations surrounding AI. It's interesting. I, I was talking to somebody earlier on this week about the Google um, programmer who was put on leave because he outed uh, the fact that his AI says it's it can feel. It, it, it understands what being turned off means and it's frightened of it. It's terrifying stuff. It's very, uh, 2001, a space odyssey, isn't it? Well, certainly it, it highlights that this issue is front and center. Certainly all the experts on AI that I've, that I've heard from on that particular instance, that example you gave said, look, that's, that's not the case. That's a, that's an issue with this particular person and their, and their interesting perception of it. But we do need to be, as AI is, is used increasingly in our lives, um, we need to be mindful of it. And one thing that's actually very troubling about the AI legislation is that it specifically exempts law enforcement and national security. So law enforcement and national wow. security in Canada can, can deploy AI with proven harmful effects, or even with with biases, uh, without review by this uh, by this AI commissioner, and that's a problem because, frankly, uh, big tech doesn't have guns, but uh, law enforcement and uh, and national security folks do. And so, when it when this all ends up in committee and parliament, that's that's an observation that I think people should uh, should bring to the attention of the committee. It's that look really where where it can have a life and death consequence. We've, we've carved that out from scrutiny, and, and that's, uh, that's perhaps not okay. David, I've got to leave it at that. Thank you very much for joining us. You've made a lot of sense about, a, I think, a very important uh, uh, leg- piece of legislation that will be argued in the near future, and I appreciate you making sense of it for us. Thank you very much. Oh, it's my pleasure. Anytime. Cheers. David Fraser, Internet and Privacy Lawyer.